wanted to kick off this episode with a quick disclaimer. We mentioned we're probably not going to have the perfect audio and video set up these first couple episodes, and you'll hear that a bit. It was not nearly bad enough to scrap the episode. We think it's still 100% listenable, but there's a little bit of drop-off in the second mic, and you'll notice that at a few different times. That said, still felt like you'd get a ton of value out of this, and we decided to push forward and post it rather than going back to the drawing board. We hope you'll understand. Today's episode is all about accelerating trust, how vulnerability is a key piece of it, and how intentionally focusing on building trust is going to set a strong foundation for all high-performing teams. We'll give you some actionable tips, some of our own experiences and things that we've put into practice and experience with our clients. And there's a digital download for something called the five B's of trust that you can get at cultureshock.com in the press and media section, or a link to it in the descriptions anywhere that you're listening to or watching this episode. So if it's something you want to be able to refer back to so that that way you can take some of these actions and form habits around them, or if it's something that you just want to use as a conversation starter with your team, I would encourage you to go ahead and do that download. Let us know if you have any feedback. And as always, thank you for tuning in to Into the Storm Leaders. I hope that you'll subscribe and that you'll get some real value out of this one. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Hey folks, this is Joe Jurek. Pete Hansberger. We're your hosts of the Into the Storm Leaders podcast. We did the introduction episode that you may or may not have already listened to. But this is the first time we're going to get into one of the topics that we care very deeply about. And we're excited about this one. We definitely are. We hope the first episode gave you a good overview of what we plan to cover through the entire series, as well as some tidbits into you know some of the things that we believe, some of the books that we love. But today is really diving into one specific topic. And you know, where is there a better place to start, Joe, at least from what we do, than trust? It's funny how everything comes back to trust and how it's not something that just happens naturally as people think, right? So I want to open it up a little bit in this episode and talk about some of the things that have influenced us, some of the different principles and exercises that we got, some of the things that you've developed, Pete, that we've worked with clients on and how important it is to have that into the storm mindset of intentionally charging into situations where it makes sense to build more trust, right? Because it, it's not always just about the time you've known somebody. So I think there's a lot to unpack here. And we'll probably talk about this in quite a few other episodes as well. Definitely. Yeah. But in our programs that we have for emerging leaders and executive teams, while it hits on things like communication and accountability, we always start with trust. You want to talk about why? Absolutely. I mean, we've talked before about, you know, everything, everything that we do boils down to establishing trust as a foundation. And, you know, when we get contacted by entire teams, when we work with leadership teams, when we work with the mid-manager, emerging leader teams, even one-on-one -on -one relationships, there's always an element of building trust with that because from trust comes good communication, more likelihood of accountability. Healthy the, conflict. You know, conflict, like you said, the ability to, to you know, feel comfortable delegating to somebody, to asking people for help and offering help, as well as making sure that, that, that people are comfortable asking questions, being called out, and everything in between. All those things contribute to positive workplace environments and, to be honest, positive personal relationships as well. And, you know, it all comes back to this concept of trust. And you said that, just a minute ago, Joe, that, you know, it's not about necessarily knowing somebody for 20 years, that you have to wait that long to build trust. 
you know, we think that that you cannot fake it, but you can accelerate it. And for sure. And anything that we talk about and what we work with clients on, and a lot of times specifically why we're hired is to accelerate trust, to try to speed up the process. You know, think about brand new people coming onto your team. Think about relationships that either haven't existed, not that they're negative. They just people just don't know each other, don't work that that closely together. Think about department by department within companies. There might not be anything negative necessarily. It's just they haven't taken the time to purposefully build trust. And then you have the situations where trust has been eroded, trust has been broken, trust needs to be rebuilt. And so all those things are factors within organizations. And you know what we found is to try to attack trust head on just like anything else and do it on purpose. I think so often things are just surface, right? And most organizations... You- you might have some some water cooler talk. It's gotten even harder with definitely hybrid and virtual workspace. Like you need to be intentional or deliberate about building real trust with people. And it's simple, but not always easy. Like a lot of the things that we talk about, right? But it, it's something that uh, we want to give you some different techniques, some approaches and hopefully give you a tool or, or two as well and a chance to use this episode as kind of a clarity break for you to do some reflection or just an honest self-assessment about the levels of trust in your team so that that way you've got a plan of attack, something that you can do to strengthen the trust because we're, we're what we argue and many others that you know we kind of subscribe to argue is that with a high trust environment, you're going to get productive, healthy conflict. That's a good thing. Without that, you're not going to get real commitment. And therefore, you're not going to get the accountability that's 360. It's going to be hierarchical. It's going to just come from your leadership. And we, we talk about that a lot because that's Patrick Lanchoni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team Model, which sure. you already mentioned inspired us quite a bit. Well, and our experience backs up to that healthy conflict is an indicator of a high trust environment. You don't just have to take our word for it either, though. You know, we looked at a number of studies leading up to this podcast, but not only that, I mean, we're looking at things like that on a regular basis that back up the claims that trust does lead to really good things within organizations. And you know, I know you have some right at the at the top of your head, Joe, but, you know, anything from from workplace productivity to innovation, those things, those things tend to happen when you, you know, when you have a high level of trust. And we'll talk even more about you know, how do you know if you have a high level of trust versus a low level? But, you know, we can we can share a couple facts right now with you that that are going to further tell the story of, you know, why trust is so important. It's not just a feeling that you have, you know, it's not just that we've seen it work with a lot of our clients, but, you know, there have been hundreds and thousands of people surveyed as well that that will tell that story as well. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to argue a almost contrarian point about trust in this episode as well because th- there's a lot of a, a lot of things that, that I see with different social media channels and even some that I, I subscribe to and follow and where it talks about being guarded or, or don't share too much don't put yourself out there that's not uh, how that's not powerful or how you get ahead and I, I just disagree I think that vulnerability and humility are things that especially as you become more senior, in your career really differentiate you and your organization and changes the culture entirely instead of it being this macho you know kind of mentality about not being too open and honest it's like at least in my experience those are some of the things that you know led to the best relationships the best results are when my executives were very sharing of themselves and they admit their mistakes and kind of made room for others to also make mistakes One of the stats in particular that we were looking at prior to this, there was this research done by Edelman Intelligence, and it said that in a high-trust work environment, 79% of employees were likely to innovate more readily and to embrace creativity, to take a chance by speaking up, versus only 40% or less if the organization had a low-trust environment. And that's because people fear speaking truth to power. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to sound dumb. And when there's high trust, people know like, hey, we're, we're all in this together. I don't always need to be right, but people take chances, right? That's when innovation occurs. And that, that's more important now than ever. Sure. 
and then have this all we're all in it together mentality you know there's pretty much no limit of what you can achieve when that happens you know versus the you know the boss is the only one who has the right ideas i'm not asking for anyone's opinion those type of things create this this sort of me versus you wedge or it creates the traditional hierarchical structure where you just need to listen to you know whoever's above you in the chain of command and not question them not ask you know not push back when you feel like you need to and so from from that standpoint you know some other indicators we've seen of a high trust environment are when people do ask a lot of questions and when that's okay to do so when there tends to be a lot of chatter in meetings if you notice mm-hmm. meetings being lively and people are either joking with each other or pushing back on each other or even calling each other out that tends to mean a high trust environment you know, even in the gaps between official meetings segments, you know, what we notice sometimes when we take breaks with clients, if there's chatter and people are stopping at each other's desks, when, you know, on the way to the bathroom and chatting about things, if there's a little bit of, you know, busting each other's chops, that tends to indicate a high trust environment. We also notice that, you know, from an innovation standpoint, people are, are taking these intellectual risks to bring up an idea that they might even think is kind of crazy or off the wall. But they're doing it anyway because they know that they're not going to get punished for doing so, or they're not going to get laughed out of the room. Somebody might, in a good-natured way, talk about how that's going to work, or that's crazy. But then someone else might take a shred of that idea, and they might turn it into something that's workable. But the comfort level or the level of okayness to bring that stuff up, that indicates a high-trust environment from from our standpoint. Because it's we versus me. There's not that self-serving... Yeah. Or, or even self-preservation, where people are afraid to speak up and uh, say the wrong thing, right? It's yeah. when you take a little bit more risk or, or when you minimize the risk by having a higher trust environment, stuff just flows. And you, you get stuff done, you figure things out, and you come up with new ways of doing things, right? It does. And there's not, there's not that walking on eggshells mentality, which we've seen when there's tension in an office, tension in a home environment. You know, people are walking on eggshells, afraid of not saying the wrong thing or not saying the right thing, afraid of saying the wrong thing. That can create, you know, it can stifle any sort of creativity, innovation. It can make it just not fun to be somewhere, interesting to be somewhere. And that goes back to what we talked about in the last episode about, you know, I I get to be at work versus I have to be at work or I get to go to this particular place versus I have to, I'm forced to, I have no other choice. So, you know, we've talked about some indicators now. We, I want to move us into basically what we think you can do about trust. Sure. How, do you, how do you actually accelerate it? You know, and we have something we've created over the last few years that we call the fine bees of trust. So we think if you can be these things on any given day and you can encourage your team to do that as well, especially if you're a leader and you have that position of authority right now where you can create this type of environment, your team is going to accelerate trust consistently. You're going to make new people feel like they're part of the team quicker. You're going to make your current team members feel like they can bring up issues, questions, ideas, concerns a lot faster instead of sitting on that information that that could either really help or really hurt the organization if they don't say it or if they do say it. Those are the type of things we want to cover in our five Bs of trust and we're hoping that you can take this away and and actually put something into action as a re- result of this conversation. Or you can reach out to us after the fact and, and we'll continue that conversation with you. It's just a, a different way of looking at it. So yeah, I want to break these down because it, even like I, for a long time, looked at trust as something that either happened or it didn't. And if it didn't, I thought, well, maybe I've just, I've not had the opportunity yet. I've not had enough time. And it from this, some of the actions you can take from it, just being more mindful, right? Be, being aware that it's something you got to work at. It doesn't always just come right. organically or naturally. So take a storm, man. Uh, go through. Uh, there's, there's five. So what, what's the first one you want to talk about? First B of trust we have is very simple, and it's be a buffalo. And it's not necessarily the, you know, identify every objective and opportunity charge into it. In this case, it's specific to trust. So we believe if you want to have a high trust environment, we have to figure out what head on into that means and then charge. And we need to be accountable to, to those actions that we plan on taking. But this shows up in a lot of ways, both big scale and small scale. You know, on a small scale, you know, being a buffalo toward trust could be identifying one person that you don't feel like you have the type of working relationship you should have with that person. And then making it a 
point to talking to that person to either scheduling official conversations with them or just more in an informal way, taking it upon yourself to get to know them as human beings instead of just as coworkers. Not that you have to know everybody's deepest, darkest secrets or be best friends with your coworkers, but identifying that one person, in some cases we call it the high ROI relationship, yeah. you know, where there would be a return on your investment, a return on their investment of time and energy if you spend some time together and get to know each other. So that's the small scale and a large scale. You know, being a Buffalo would just be throwing it out there to your entire organization and saying, look, I want to create a, a higher level of trust within this entire organization. Here are, you know, three to four things that I plan on doing as the leader of this organization over the next month or the next quarter to make that happen. Sometimes it's bringing in outside speakers or facilitators. Sometimes it's just getting people together more frequently. Sometimes it's you as the leader setting that tone and having this vulnerability, like you talked about, you know, to familiarize yourself with them and to humanize yourself a little bit. And, and you know, those are a couple of things that come to mind as far as how do we be a Buffalo to trust? What does that storm look like and how do we charge into that? What about just, I think for a lot of people, the storm could just be initiating that conversation. Absolutely. So what about the one-on-one the -on -one dialogue? Like if you are thinking to yourself, these are the one, two, or three relationships that are too important to wait or too important not to give them some attention to increase that level of trust. Like, how do you start? What would you ever encourage somebody to say, like, hey, I want to build more trust with you? Or how would you go about that? I think you have to find your own language to do that. But I think it's it's initiating a conversation however it feels right to you. And you're going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable. That's what being a Buffalo is all about. But it could be stopping by a coworker's desk and saying, hey, you know, I want to make sure that we're on the same page about this project coming up. You know, can we can we spend some time talking about it? And then and then through those conversations, sprinkling in a little bit of information about yourself outside of work and asking a little bit of of information of that person as well so that you can better relate to each other. You know, that's just one example. You know, if you're in a hybrid or a remote work environment, it might have to be a little more formal than that. You might have to send somebody a Teams message or an instant message and just say, hey, you know, would you would you be open to, to scheduling a half hour, you know, on a Teams meeting or a phone call sometime between now and the end of the week? And then if, you know, make sure that you have something to talk to them about as well. But then trying to encourage that to happen on a somewhat regular basis is an example of doing that. I think you could also can start if it's, if it's more comfortable to do it this way, you can start in, in a meeting setting. So you can sprinkle in at the beginning, middle, or end of a meeting a couple questions that have nothing to do with work that just get people talking, potentially laughing, as well as finding connection points amongst one another. You know, we ask a lot of questions like, hey, just tell us about your first concert that you ever attended in your life. That doesn't take that long in a meeting setting. You know, in the EOS process, in their pulse meetings, they talk about, you know, business best and a personal best, something you're proud of, something you're excited about from a personal or business standpoint over the last week or the last month or the last quarter. So you can go that route as well. But there's a number of different questions you can ask. They're not related to work, but do give some insight into who these people are as human beings. And we feel like the more we know about each other as people, not just as coworkers, the more likely I am to give somebody the benefit of the doubt if I expect them to be at their desk and I don't see them at their desk, rather than make an assumption, I might say, oh, I know this about this person. It's, you know, they have kids that have soccer after, after work. So on Thursdays, they play their games and they're out of the office a little bit early. So therefore, now I'm not getting you know, resentful of that person. I can relate to that. I'm, I'm understanding sort of what they're going through. I'm more likely to, to give them the benefit of doubt or cut them a break in some, some circumstances. So that's, those are some things that come to mind for me. Any anything to add on that, Joe? I think it's it dovetails in with that meeting setting where I guess just you can be a buffalo when building trust by realizing that everyone has this need, and for some reason we're all kind of wired to feel uncomfortable telling people or addressing it openly that we want to get to know somebody more or that we want to build a better relationship with them. It's, I think we build it up in our heads to seem a lot creepier than it actually is. Uh, so being a Buffalo, you, you can be that person for your group. If you come to a meeting with a few of those sort of questions and you even, you don't just launch into them, but you, you announce or express, 
hey, I want to start doing this so that that way we can kick off our meetings in a different way so we can get to know some below the surface stuff about each other. Because in my assessment, we can get better at trusting each other. We, we need to work on this as a group and, you know, come up with five or 10 questions where you ask one or two of them each meeting, something as simple as, you know, how many siblings do you have and where do you fall in that line? What's, what's something hard that you went through as a kid that, that shaped you in some way? There's a whole myriad of them in it. You can find some, some more like we'll, we'll put them on our social channels and things like that as well. And you can find them on cultureshock.com. But uh, we'll do these energizers where it's a, a two minute exercise at the beginning of a meeting just to get everybody loosened up. And one of the ones you, you introduced me to in particular is this uh, commonalities energizer where, what is it? You have two minutes? Two to three minutes for a group to figure out as many things as they have in common, like everyone at the table has in common with each other as possible. And it gets ridiculous. It's usually like, oh, we all have shoelaces and maybe we all have a sibling or or brown hair or whatever. And that is the surface stuff. But it just goes to show that in two minutes, when you're deliberate about building trust, you can find out more about people. and find more things that you have in common with them than you typically would over 30 days or even a, a year with all of the water cooler talk about weather and sports. I, I love sports. Uh, I love talking about it, but to mix that in with some real questions where you show some genuine interest, I think really goes a long way. Well, that makes me think too, you know, none of these things cost any money to actively build trust. You just have to, you have to take it upon yourself to make it happen. And you know, some of what we're talking about is related to some of the other B's of trust as well. You know, but on the on the surface level versus getting below the surface concept, you know, Joe and I have both led in the last two months uh, something we call the zero small talk happy hour as well. So if you want to be purposeful about getting below that surface a little bit, you can do this and you can label a certain number of topics off limits, like the weather, like the weekend, like you know what your job is. And then encourage other topics like hopes and dreams and goals, things that people are interested in outside of work. And if nothing else that builds famili familiarity and, and connection points, it does require a little bit of vulnerability because you're opening yourself up so that other people can, can walk inside your world a little bit. And, you know, there's hesitation from some, some people to start that. But what we notice is if you can ease people into those type of conversations and say, look, I'm not asking you about every secret you ever, you've ever told. I don't need to see, you know, embarrassing high school photos of you necessarily. You don't need to dance like a chicken in front of us. But if you're willing to share a little bit about yourself, you know, we're just trying to get to know each other so that we can have a better working relationship. And so I can have better insight in sort of what your personality is like, how you prefer to, to be communicated with and, right. and those type of things come to the surface, the more we, we ask those, you know, below service level conversations. So that'd be a Buffalo, right? It's figure out who those people are and don't wait for it to happen. Yep. Charge into it, come up with a plan and do something with it. That's you can where even, we start. You can even tell them you want to build more trust with them. Yes. As weird as it might feel, try it. Probably not going to be that, that weird or creepy. No, How about most people will probably want to be, you know, they'll, you want to be on the receiving end of somebody saying that, look, I think we need to have a good working relationship, or I think we're going to work together quite a bit over the next few years. We're going to do great things if we can get to know each other a little bit. It's different. It, you appreciate when there's something that breaks routine, right? And it, you're not in autopilot having that conversation right. with somebody. If somebody says that to you, they clearly care enough to do something that felt a little uncomfortable or odd. And that's often where some of the best relationships come from, right? And speaking of, you never know what you're going to learn about somebody until you ask. That's number two. We call it be interested, not interesting. And there's a simple distinction there, but being interested to us is focusing more on questions and getting to know other people than having to be the, the most interesting person in the room yourself. You know, we find in a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations and even in some, you know, broader workplace cultures, if there's a culture of everyone trying to sound like they're the smartest person, like they've got the best ideas all the time, they have the right answer, everyone's talking primarily about themselves, there's not a lot of back and forth. There's not a lot of true learning about each other when that happens. It's it's you know, it's just, you know, me trying to 
to to stand on top of someone else and I'm trying to stand on top of me. But the flip side of that being interested is, you know, what we find is that it turns into some really good mutual conversations where you don't just ask one question to somebody, you might stack a second or a third question to get a little bit deeper into who they are or even in what, you know, what the issue is within the organization, what, you know, what the real motivation is, not just what somebody says the first time. And so that's be interested more than you're interesting. If there's one thing that you pull from this, it's stuck with me personally. Be more interested than interesting because I think it's, again, hardwired in so many of us to listen with the intent of responding instead of listening with the intent of comprehending. And usually when we do ask a question, when somebody's talking, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. So that being more interested instead of interesting kind of goes against a lot of what you see nowadays. Like I'm constantly seeing ads for this masterclass on be the most interesting person in the room and command attention. And, and look, I, I get it uh, that there's some importance in having that confidence uh, where you can command a room and, and you're a good storyteller. Don't get me wrong. But that's not going to be the fastest or the most effective way of building high trust relationships or a high trust environment, right? You have to show that genuine curiosity. So it's pain. the paradox for me is that the harder I try to be interesting, the less I think people want to talk to me. But the more I focus on other people and asking questions to other people and digging into what's going on with them, the more they actually think that I'm interesting. Right. I found that to be the case. You know, I, we have, you and I have a number of stories or examples of this, but, you know, I sat with a client at dinner a year ago and somebody who's, you know, somewhat well-known around the area, who's done some pretty big things from a real estate development standpoint. You know, I asked a couple of questions like, Hey, are you working on any interesting projects right now? And 30 minutes later with a couple additional follow-up questions, he had given me all this really good insight into interesting things that were happening. And at the end of dinner, he said, it was really good talking to you. Here's my card. Let me know if you ever need anything. Right. And I maybe said 15 words the entire dinner. I just was interested in what he had to say and, and found it, you know, he found me to be a, a good conversationalist. People want to share. Yeah. And it, and it does creates more opportunity for future conversations. And, you know, like people, you know, they tend to want to help if they know that you're interested in what's going on with them. And then now they're looking for opportunities to connect you with other people or other opportunities just because you asked some good questions and tried not to focus so much on yourself. Because that is, and I think, I think natural tendency for all of us, myself included, is you, know, you want to share as much as you can about yourself. And if you're selling something, you want to share about your product as much as right. you can. But, you know, one thing Ron told me years ago, Ron Kaminsky here at Culture Shock, was that you know the depth of our relationships are really determined by the quality of the questions that we ask and the depth of the questions we ask. And that's to me, goes back to be interested. Yeah, be interested and be vulnerable enough to, to share when it comes up, but not so programmed that if you ask somebody how their weekend was when you see them on a Monday and they tell you, oh, I went to a baseball game with the kids, not just jumping into, oh, the last time I went to this ballpark, it was like this, or I actually watched the game, but I couldn't go this week, as we so often respond right. with. Or trying to one-up them in some way, too. Right. You know, it, oh, I went to three baseball games. And I think we do that. We're trying to relate. We're trying to be interesting, but also find that common ground when really it, it's more effective, in, in my experience at least, to instead say, oh, who'd you go with? Was that the first game you went to this year? Right. How was it? Did you did you just do hot dogs or did you try out any of the new right. ballpark food? Did you and go stuff anywhere like before that? the game, after the game? Right. Did you get down there? Those type of things don't seem like they're significant, but then you start to understand the you know a more full picture of what someone's interested. In. It demonstrates that you give a shit, right? True. When you're actually asking follow up questions and showing some positive body language, and then it, asking additional questions or banking that information, it just you care enough to listen, you care enough to ask, and boom, the trust in your relationship starts to very quickly accelerate. I've had almost exact conversations similar to that where you ask, oh, what did you do after the game? Anything? Someone talks about going to a restaurant. 
that you've never heard of that maybe is brand new and you're saying, I didn't even know that existed. I should, I should try that. And then they say, well, actually, you know, my brother-in-law or sister-in-law are, is the manager of that restaurant. They could get you in sometime, even though it's hard to get in. And, and now you're, you know, they're, they're trying to help you out because you showed that you care about what they have to say. And, and now it's benefiting you because, you know, because just because you asked. Right. So yeah, uh, that's, that's to us is be interested in, in you know, we want to keep moving. We're going to be on to uh, B number three of the five B's of trust. And, and that to us is being intentional. And we've already hit on this in a few different ways in the conversation, but being intentional around building trust to us is not only having that Buffalo mentality to charge into it, but it's actually setting an objective or a goal or, or a muscle that you want to make sure you're growing on purpose yeah. when it comes to building trust. So that it could be, you know, I want to pick out one person and I want to build trust with them. And I'm going to intentionally do that by setting goals, you know, weekly conversation or a monthly conversation. I'm going to put on my calendar that I'm going to check in with this person in particular on a regular basis. I'm glad you said the calendar. Yeah. Because I think that's so many of us live and die by what's on our calendar. True. And if it's something that's important to us, we calendar the time for it. So uh, that's something that I, I've personally benefited from, and I've seen a lot of other people as well, as simple as touch base with this human, right? And maybe it's what you put on the calendar is get them out of the office or, or get them out of their typical workspace where you make a point once a quarter or once a month, whatever frequency works for you, the more often, probably the better, but to do something a little different, to show them again that you care, where it's not just picking up the phone or maybe it's going over to their desk and saying like, hey, you want to walk around the block really quick? Or maybe if all you do is email and teams with somebody that you actually do pick up the phone and talk to them for a moment, calendaring it to keep yourself honest and on track, like that's the intentional aspect, right? You map out or set a plan of what you want to do. And then you give yourself a way to follow through on it by, by writing down or capturing what those goals are, right? We have some clients that, especially in, you know, campuses where there's mul multiple buildings for your company, or we've seen this in manufacturing plants where it's a large square footage amount of plant where the leadership team member or the CEO or the plant manager sets as an objective intentionally that they're going to walk the floor every day between these hours or they're going to go visit the other buildings on their campus X number of times per week. And that's a way to be intentional about making sure that you're not missing opportunities for those, those little moments where you can walk by somebody, ask them how they're doing, ask about the family. They might have something to tell you. Or sometimes, you know, we're not sending an email, you know, for every little thing that pops into our mind. But if we were to happen to walk by somebody, I might say, oh, yeah, what about this? You know, tell me about this project or this this you know, new robot, robotics piece that you just got in, how's it working? And vice versa, you being visible, not only when things go wrong as a leader, but when things are going right and just in general, that takes a little bit of the intimidation edge off when people see the boss, quote unquote, walking around. If you're only walking around when things are going wrong, you know, then everyone's going to be a little uptight when you're walking around. But if you're doing it all the time or on a regular basis, people know they have access to you. They're probably going to be more right. likely to bring things up and say, hey, hey, I got a quick question about this. Or, you know what? I have an idea. I think, you know, if we, if we shifted this line 90 degrees from where it's at right now, it might make the flow of work go a little bit better. We could get this thing out the door a little bit quicker. And so, you know, we've seen examples like that from a number of quiet clients and it just takes being intentional to build that trust. Sometimes it's, it's even as simple as intentionally being visible. Right. That's a huge factor is when there's that accessibility of a senior leader that demonstration that hey i i want to be available for open and honest dialogue because quite frankly it, there are so many blind spots that executives develop over the years and a lot of times it's with the best intentions but they just don't keep a pulse of how people really feel what's really happening in the business and they think they've got a damn good idea of it but They've not made a set of very clear expectation that, hey, I want you to feel confident telling me things w without fear of repercussion. And often just your presence around, your willingness to go ask some questions and, and to have some human dialogue with somebody 
you'll be surprised how much you learn about like what's really happening. Sure. And can keep a better pulse on the culture than you know what to fix and where to focus your efforts. Well, and on that note too, you know, that whenever we get involved in a conference or an association hires us to facilitate some networking, that that's just an opportunity for people to build trust. And it helps a lot in business development standpoints, or if you're looking for new vendors or suppliers, what we do is we encourage people to set a goal or objective. I want to, I want to meet five people. I want to meet 10 people throughout this two-day conference. And we'll encourage people to do that. And we'll sometimes require it slash facilitate it, where we'll say, all right, everybody at your tables right now, I want you to take five minutes, go find two people you've never met before, shake their hand, introduce yourself, and answer these two or three questions. One question might be about work, but two questions might not have anything to do with work. Now you've created a connection, you've met people, and that you know at least builds a little bit of familiarity. So if you're interested in in networking or building trust intentionally when you're at a conference or at a meeting setting or in any sort of somewhat awkward networking event, give yourself an objective and now you know what you're working towards. So you're not just aimlessly floating around, sticking with the people that you know the best and not challenging yourself. That's also part of being intentional. We've helped a lot of clients with and, and I found value myself in setting a little bit of a goal, walking in, into a potential situation like that and then executing it. Let me throw this your way, though. I don't have enough time for that, right? It comes up all the time. <laughs> sure. I, we're busy. Sure, that sounds nice. It, it would be great if I could do that, but I, I just don't have the time to put that stuff on my calendar, to walk around. I need to get stuff done. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think anyone can legitimately talk about being busy, and I think most people that we know are busy. If we... It's, it's almost like that paying yourself first concept. If you're not carving out a little bit of time to build trust with people, it's, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you a lot in the long run. On the flip side of that, the, the possibilities are so vast. If you are intentionally spending 10 minutes a day even, just sending out a quick message or two, just looking at your calendar and saying, hey, is this... This person's been with the company for one year today. Like, let me send them a quick message. Just doing a, a five to 10 minute walk. It's good for our health anyway, to get around and, and see everybody. If you're at a, a conference or networking event, you're there anyway. Like, and I say that to a lot of clients, actually, if, you know, if we get hired for a team building event or something where I know some people are going to be skeptical, you know, do I really want to be here? Do I really want to devote, you know, three hours in my day for this outside person who I don't even know? I'll say right up front, look, we're going to be here for three hours anyway. Let's make it a great use of our time. And so there is this element of just intentionally carving out time that, you know, we can either make an excuse that we don't have time or we could, we could use the time wisely. I think that that's one of the biggest differences that, that I've seen in effective leaders where they realize that's so important that they commit and find ways to make time. That's a part of why they're busy is because that's so essential. Right. And if you see the value, if you understand the why and the benefit of it, then you don't see it as something you need to do. It's something you get to do and something you want to do. Like leadership is a service to others. And I think so often people take managerial jobs because it's better for their livelihood and well being. It's more money without necessarily thinking about all the responsibilities that, that come with it. And we'll talk a lot more about that when it comes to accountability conversations and stuff. But even this sort of things, like how you spend your time, you've got to commit some of it to your people. And I think one of the biggest, like the, the way that you've demonstrated or, or share the value you see from it is like the concept of the speed of trust. I don't want to deviate too much from the five B's here, but I think that kind of fits with being intentional. Can you Talk a little bit about that real quick. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we don't want to rush too much through the, the last couple of B's of trust, but we're going to speed it up a little bit for you. When it comes to the speed of trust, you know, it's a book by Stephen M. R. Covey and, you know, something that we believe a lot. In. To me, it's a simple concept where, you know, if we have a high trust environment, things tend to happen faster and they cost less money. And when we have a low trust environment, things happen slower and they cost more money because there's more micromanaging. There's less people bringing things up quickly, more people sort of playing the behind the scenes politics game where I don't know if I say this, is it going to bother somebody else? So maybe I'll, I won't say it yet, but then I'll tell somebody in the back channel. 
so on and so forth. So high trust environments can speed up, speed up things to happen, speed up innovation. You'll end up saving money. Whereas low trust environments, the opposite happens. It pays you over and over and over True. again, right? Yep. Like I heard you say, high trust is a dividend, low trust is a tax. Absolutely. I definitely took that I away. I recommend that book as well, The Speed of Trust, which brings us to the fourth B of trust, and that is be helpful. And this one is not rocket science. None of these are, but we developed this after just understanding through our own careers and client experience that anybody can be helpful to anybody else within an organization. Anybody can be helpful to any customer or client or supplier you have. We just have to think about how can we be helpful or how can we be more helpful? So I kind of think about it in three, you know, can I be helpful in three different directions? One, to my customers or clients, how can I be more helpful than I already am being to them? And there's a number of different ways you can do that, but it, it builds trust to, to show people, not just say it, but show it that you truly want to be helpful. Number two is how can I be helpful to people that are not necessarily clients, but they're vendors, they're partners, they're the people that are doing construction on your office, they're your IT partners. How can I be more helpful to them, which will build trust with them and they'll want to reciprocate as well? And then number three is how can I be more helpful to myself, to my own personal development, you know, reading books, maintaining, you know, physical and mental wellness, you know, pursuing development, pursuing training, uh, similar to things like Culture Shock offers. You know, can you be more helpful to yourself to better trust yourself, to better, you know, build your confidence, build your own skill set? And so if we can focus on any of those three areas or hopefully all of them, you know, we believe that whether you're an intern who just started yesterday, we think you can be helpful to anybody within the organization or whether you're, you know, a 30-year employee, a CEO or anything in between. I want to focus on how can I be as helpful as possible? And we can be intentional about that by picking out one way or two ways that I can be more helpful to my coworkers, to my clients and customers, or to myself. If I can do that, then I'm in good shape. I think this is the one that probably aligns most closely with what a lot of people think of when they think of trust. And it's the integrity piece, right? The doing what you say you're going to do. That's what's helpful to people. Is if you commit to something that they know they can count on you. I always find it important that when we talk about this one, we talk about the flip side, because of course there's, you know, it, it can be taken in an extreme way. And you mentioned be helpful to yourself as well, like setting boundaries, knowing when to say no, I think that yep. needs to be coupled with this because otherwise you, you're trying to be helpful to everybody and you burn out and then you aren't helpful because you can't follow through on the commitments that you made. That's a Great huge point. component, yeah. right? Something that has helped me, and I think it, I shared this with you a while back, on my desk at home or right behind it, I have something written down to the effect of what one extra thing can I do to be unique and memorable? So in every interaction that I'm having, I think before I hit send, before I pick up the phone, before I go meet with somebody, what one little unexpected thing can I do to be more helpful that is going to catch somebody off guard that they're not going to expect that does stick with them a little bit. And I think that's something that, you know, even as simple as that is a way that you can intentionally build trust by being more helpful by thinking about what one little extra thing that's not going to derail realistic expectation setting, but that still shows like I care and I want to help you. Right. right. Yeah. If we overcommit, are you really helping somebody? Right. You know, if I, if I say to somebody, Hey, I'll hold you accountable to this, but I never follow up. I'm not even really being helpful. So you bring up a good point. And I struggle with this from time to time because I want to help as many people as I can. Uh, just about every keynote or conference speech that I do, I'll put my email address on the last slide and say, look, if anyone wants to follow up, if anyone wants me to help you beyond today, feel free to email me. You know, the reality is if there's 300 people in the room and all 300 of them email me, I might be in trouble. You're probably going to, yeah, <laughs> I know you though, you're, you're going to follow up with all of the 300 people and put yourself out in but, that way, but, but, but you like, want to help. You are rolling the dice a little bit with something like that. No, that, that typically doesn't happen. I might get one or two or five people that reach out and, you know, want to, want to have a quick chat after that. But in there's a part of me that thinks that would be a great problem to have because then that would be okay. A lot of new business. Um, now we can scale up and continue to scale our operation accordingly. But 
the setting of boundaries and being realistic with people and letting them know that, look, I can help you. I just might not be able to help you right now. Like there's some power in that as well. Yeah. So the open and honest aspect is big, right? And I know we'll talk more about that after the five B's, but it's just coupling that be helpful with be realistic of what you can actually help with. Because again, I think it's very unhelpful if you express wanting to, and then you can't follow through on that and deliver, right? Right. All right, take us home. Which I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure both of us have made that mistake before and then not followed through because things just got too busy. But I do notice that with um, some people that, you know, that I talk with, or you meet somebody at a conference and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll follow up with you. I'll send you an email sometime. And then you just never get that email. That erodes trust a little bit. So we want to make sure that we maintain that building of trust uh, and keep it at a high level. Which brings us to, you know. Well, so far, all right, we've got. The idea of self-awareness if if you're not doing what you say you're going to do. We've hit on be a buffalo. We had be interested, be intentional, be helpful. And the fifth one you said is. Be self-aware. And self-awareness shows up in a couple ways from a trust building standpoint. Number one is, am I aware of whether or not I'm following the other four B's of trust? So can I have that awareness to actually ask people for feedback? Can I ask people if I'm doing things that, that are bothering them, if there, are, if there are things that I could be doing better for my teammates, uh, for my customers or clients? Um, it also shows up in, you know, do I, do I seek out, you know, the reduction of my own blind spots? Do I, am I self-aware enough? Am I opening myself up to other people and being vulnerable? Um, do I, essentially, do I look to other people the way that I think I do? You know, am I perceived the way I want to be perceived or the way I think that I'm being perceived? Because um, one of the things that builds trust quickly is when you can line up how you want to be perceived with how you actually are perceived. Um, and one of the things that hurts trust significantly is if you think you're one way, but you're, you're truly a different way um, and, and you're oblivious to that fact. And we've worked with some clients that, that fits that bill. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if we can work on being self-aware that we're executing on all four of the other B's of trust, but then also, you know, think about from, from, you know, my own standpoint, like auditing myself, am I really, you know, if I want to be friendly, am I coming off as friendly? If I, if I want to be interested, am I coming off as interested or am I all, all just talking about myself all the time? So that's the last B of trust for us that sort of brings it all home from that standpoint. And obviously today we're just scratching the surface of what these are. We've got a number of other examples and client examples that we'd love to talk about in more detail after this, but I, curious on your thoughts, Joe, before we wrap it up. Yeah, a couple things there just to help make that one actionable for people because self-awareness, everyone feels like they're pretty self-aware, right? And then every once in a while you get kicked in kicked in the stomach and you're like, holy shit, I had no idea. I thought I was really good at that. And this was where, uh, I I think I mentioned in the introductory episode, I'd worked with Liz Weissman at at a conference and she has this concept called multipliers where there's all of these things that we perceive as strengths that have unintended consequences and accidentally diminish the intelligence and capability of those that we lead and those that we are surrounded by. And it's so important that we're doing something, that we have some sort of habit of doing a gut check, of an honest self-assessment to say, are we perceived the way that we really think we are? And you you probably aren't going to like the answer. You're, it, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be fun, but it's how you grow. It's how you learn. You've got to ask and make sure people know it's okay to deliver that kind of feedback. Uh, it, it's, I think people are actually more comfortable delivering that feedback to others than setting the tone of, hey, I want you to critique me in that way as well. And what I would ask you is, when you think of your peak leader, like in, in your lifetime or your career, the person who you emulate most because they, they made such an impression or had such influence sure. on we who you are. We alluded a little bit in the last episode too. So think of that person and the characteristics that, that make them your peak leader and then ask yourself, are you that peak leader for somebody else? Right. And, are you and emulating those characteristics Are you emulating yourself? those characteristics? Do you think somebody else, if asked that same question, would name you? 
And what do you need to model? What do you need to do uh, to, to be that person if you're not today? And then having this kind of dialogue, having these conversations and uh, having people do some honest ratings is something we've found can be really uncomfortable. And we've leveraged for almost conflict mining when we realize there's a low trust environment or artificial harmony with a bunch of resentment under the surface. We'll hold different ways to say like, all right, let's do a rating on the level of trust in this room. And this is something we talked about before this episode, actually encouraging uh, to kind of round things out here, right? When you're thinking about the five B's of trust, when you're thinking about trust in your own atmosphere, use this as a clarity break. Think to yourself honestly for a moment and one to 10, how would you rate the level of trust in your team? Yeah, that's a good place to start. And, and there's hopefully a number of actionable things that, that came out of this podcast for you. Feel free to reach out to either Joe or myself after the fact here. Feel free to reach out to both of us after the fact or, or either of us if you'd like some more actionable ideas. But you know, we hope you like the, the five B's of trust today. Again, this is just the beginning of not only this podcast, but of the depth of trust that, that's out there. Uh, and again, we'd recommend the five dysfunctions of a team book. We'd recommend the, the speed of trust. And uh, it's been a pleasure just having this conversation with you, Joe, and just talking trust because it is one of our favorite topics. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this one again uh, pretty soon. We do a workshop called Establish Authentic Trust that's a part of our Into the Storm Leaders uh, development program. So there, there is a lot more on this one and it's the foundation, right? It's, I can tell you that I have some relationships. Pete is a great example where we've known each other for a little bit over a year. I have much more open, honest dialogue and trust with you than some people I'm friends with and have known for five or 10 years that are just much more surface level. And I really do think it's about the number of vulnerable moments you've shared with that person and the willingness to have some uncomfortable conversation, uh, to be communicative right. and to, to kind of lay out a plan and, and apply those five B's. So hopefully that helps. Look forward to continuing the conversation on this one. Hopefully you got something out of this episode. As always, you can uh, subscribe to, we'd love if you subscribe to the podcast itself. You can also follow and check out some other uh, content that we put out there on YouTube, on TikTok, Instagram, connect with us on LinkedIn, uh, reach out and have a conversation. All 300 of you or 3,000 of you, we'll, we'll follow up with all of you because we try to be helpful. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do our best and we'll, we'll tell you if we need to reset that expectation. But thank you much, Pete. Appreciate you as always, man.